Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Let's pray together. Father, certainly there are areas of our lives where we need grace to trust you more. Uh, That's not really a question. It's a reality. And so I ask that uh, in the moments that follow, that you, by your Holy Spirit and through your word, you would go to work on us so that we trust you more. Less of ourselves, more of you. Less trust in ourselves more trust in you. God, would you go to work to that end and that end only? You're the one who is worthy. And we offer ourselves to you this morning. We, we kind of huddle around that great confession that you're, you are the only one who's worthy. And now, God, we say that you are our only hope for really seeing change come in our lives. Would you now please go to work? Go to work. And if you as a church family gathered here and online, if you just take a second and finish that prayer, however you feel like you need to finish it, say whatever you need to say to God. Lord, give us grace to trust you more. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. And everybody said... Amen and amen. Thank you. If you're in the room, you can be seated at home. I bet you are seated. Glad uh, that you are uh, glad that you've joined us. If you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to the book of Matthew chapter five. We're going to look at verse 20, just a single verse today, Matthew five, verse 20. If you're a user of the Bible app, feel free to open that app and find our live event, follow along, and uh, you can just track right along with that. That'd be great. Scriptures and sermon notes. Uh, other important info are in there, but just wanted you to know all of that is there. Uh, so we have come to this uh, time in our journey through the Sermon on the Mount where I think what we're going to hit this morning is probably the most important verse um, in the teaching of Jesus. Now, I will say I don't think it's the most important verse um, in, the, uh, in the Gospels themselves because important verses like Jesus rose from the dead are in the Gospels. That changes everything. But in terms of the red letter material, in terms of the teaching of Jesus, I think this is the most important verse. And certainly it's the most important verse uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason why uh, is because of the way that it captures a moment. And I just give you a couple of examples of important words capturing a moment. Uh, Some of you will remember this in 2001, shortly after 9-11. Then the President George W. Bush stood on top of a pile of rubble. I think his arm was around a firefighter. He was giving some encouragement to the folks saying, we can't hear you. And he uh, threw the bullhorn and said back, we can hear you. And in fact, those people who knocked the buildings down will hear from all of us soon. And you know, the place just went, the place just went nuts because it galvanized them in that moment. Winston Churchill uh, in um, right after the Battle of Britain, where they were basically out of pilots and out of planes, uh, said this to galvanize the will of a nation. He said, never in the history of mankind has so much been owed by so many to so few. Uh, And certainly probably the one that in American life that we remember the most is Martin Luther King Jr. standing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial where he launched into uh, what we know now as the I Have a Dream speech. And the history behind it is he actually had a script that he was sticking to. And then the gospel singer, Mahalia Jackson, tell him about the dream, Martin. 
And off he went. And you see his demeanor change. And what was so critical about those moments was they not only galvanized the people who heard, but it kind of captured the moment. This is what is happening in chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus is speaking to a group of people, ragtag bunch of followers who had uh, been met by the power and transformational power of the kingdom of God, and they had been changed by that power. Some who were oppressed by demons were liberated. Some who were sick were healed. Some who were epileptics and and paralyzed now walked and walked normally. And uh, they had been met by the power of God. And so they come to this moment, and Jesus um, captures this moment in these words in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 20, here's what he says. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds, or uh, some of you, your translations may have surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of the heavens. Just one verse, most important thing I think in the Sermon on the Mount, most important verse in the teaching, in the teaching of Jesus. And I want to try to get at this verse and the the truth that's involved here and with four questions. First question is this this morning. What exactly is the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? So here you see Jesus kind of coming after it. Excuse me, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds or surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees, what, what are we talking about here? Let's talk, first of all, who were the scribes and the Pharisees? They were the religious leaders of the day. Those who, uh, they had taken the law and they had uh, written laws around the law and they had written laws around those laws. So they kind of had layer upon layer and they were committed to obeying every one of those little things. So every um, little thing that was in their lives down to the very minutia of their lives was under the control of these kind of rules and guiding things. So that, that's who the scribes and the Pharisees are. And if you are in Jesus' audience and you're hearing this and you're like, dude, I don't know what's going on. Because there is no way that you, in your mind, your righteousness could exceed that. Because five minutes ago, you were laying on a mat, paralyzed. Or five minutes ago, uh, there was a, uh, a demon in your life that you didn't know what to do with. So it, this is a pretty shocking statement. But to, to boil it down in a single sentence, that the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees is self Righteousness. It is a, a righteousness that is determined by me. I'm the one who determines what is good, and I'm, determined, uh, I'm the one who determines what measure of good is used. So I, I'm going to measure up to my own. Uh, two rails that this righteousness kind of runs on here, this kind of thing that we, we need to have uh, to surpass, we need to go past. But let's describe it first. Two rails. First of all, actions are ultimate. When it boils down for the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, this self-righteousness, actions are what are ultimate. So they are the end game. They are the thing that uh, people are concerning themselves with. Actions are ultimate. And we could have turned anywhere in the Gospels. We could have turned anywhere, actually, in the New Testament to see these kinds of things described. Uh, I just want to point you to one particular place in Matthew chapter 23. And again, if you're in the Bible app, it should just be the next little section down if you have a Bible in front of you. Uh, Flip over to Matthew chapter 23. We're going to start in verse 25. Let's do a little work here. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Can we just pause for a second? Is that the way you want to be talked to by Jesus? Um, But here's the thing. If you don't have a Jesus who can talk to you like that, then you may not have the Jesus of the Bible. That's for free. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside may also be clean. Actions are 
ultimate. Now, I don't know if this happens around your house. It happens around my house. There are times when I'm doing dishes and I will be there and uh, I'll go to work with the soap and the hot water and the brush to get the pan clean. And uh, it will meet my standard of cleanliness. And then out of the sink, it will come setting on the little drying thing that we have there. And from across the room comes commentary that I did not ask for or wish. That's not clean. To which, and I'm not kidding about this, I respond with, Jesus said, you clean the inside, the outside's going to be fine. What are you worried about? Because there's a big cheese glob on the outside. You're like, yeah, you're right. Okay, hold on. We'll go back and do this. All kidding aside, all kidding aside, we, we think that the actions, hey, I did this little thing here. Jesus himself said, clean the inside. We think that that is what is ultimate. That is the end, so to speak. And it shows up in statements like this. I'm basically a good person. I'm basically a good person. When you look at my life and the balance of my life, I've got some good stuff. Certainly I've got some bad stuff, but I'm telling you my good stuff outweighs my bad stuff. I show up at the right times. I'm on time. I'm a, I work hard. I, you know, hadn't done this. I hadn't done that, that kind of stuff. And you have this scale version uh, in mind. I'm basically a good person. That is, that is when you and I, if we Um, live according to this kind of self-righteousness, the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. We are defining goodness by what I do or don't do. And uh, honestly, depending upon if you grew up in a religious household, if you grew up in a religious house like me, most of the time you would define your righteousness, your goodness by things that you don't do. Now, if you think to yourself, well, that's not me. I didn't grow up in a religious household. Then you may very well define your goodness by things that you do. Uh, But here's the thing, defining goodness by what I do or don't do, whether I'm a rule keeper or whether I'm a rebel, either way, I'm the one defining goodness and I am doing so by my action. And Jesus says, there is a righteousness. Your righteousness has to go beyond that. It has to surpass that. It has to get past actions being ultimate. The second rail of the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, this kind of self-righteousness, is that appearances are everything. So keeping here in Matthew 23, again, we could have gone to any place, but look down at verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You think Jesus is on a tear here? Seven times, actually, in the Matthew 23, he lets it rip. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. Can we just let that settle in for a second? Outwardly, they appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. And so also outwardly, you appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Here's what Jesus is saying. Um, If we live according to the idea that actions are ultimate, they're the end, and appearances are everything, we are like whitewashed tombs. And don't think to yourself like a cemetery. Um, Think to yourself like a cave where they would stick, uh, this is the context of the of the first century, they would would bury people in these caves. And so you'd roll a stone in front of the, the cave entrance there. And uh, you may paint it, you may plaster it, you may look at, make it look nice. You know, you kind of plant some flowers out there. You make sure that the grass is all mowed and pretty outside. And Jesus says, you're like that. On the outside, man, it's looking good. But the truth is that there is something rotten on the inside. Now, again, I know this never happened to anybody in your own collegiate life, but in mine. 
my roommate, Derek, about November or so said, you know what? I'm getting fat and I don't have a girlfriend. I need to lose some weight. So he puts together a pot of vegetable stew soup stuff. And I don't mean a, like a little, like a little bitty pot. I'm talking about like a vat. You know what I mean? Um, and, and he, every time I get hungry, I'm just going to eat this because it's basically no calories and I'll lose weight. This is what he said. And so he went through that a few times. It was great. Fantastic. And then, uh, you know, you stick it in the fridge and then you pull it back out, heat some, stick it in the fridge, pull it back out. Eventually, because we're collegiate boys, uh, that pot worked its way to the back of our refrigerator. The pot, it was covered, all was well in the world. Uh, that was, you know, kind of that November, December time frame. It stayed in the back of our refrigerator until we moved out in August, and I'm not kidding. Thank you so much. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. We go to clean the apartment to, you know, because we got to get out and get our deposit back and all that kind of stuff. And we're like, dude, I think that's the suit from last year. And uh, he brings it out. You know, you look through the clear glass. And you're like, yeah, that's quite the experiment that's happening. So uh, he sticks it in the sink, turns the hot water on, gets the soap ready, clack, cracks the lid. Folks, it didn't take five minutes, I promise you. It took about five seconds for the place to be completely permeated with the odor of rankness that you have never. And so hot water and soap and open windows and the thermostat all the way down so that the AC was, none of that fixed it. Eventually what happened, because there was stuff growing on the side that he couldn't scrub off. We took the pot, I'm not kidding, out the door, around back where there was this field and we buried it. No kidding. The, the inside betrays what the outside portrays. There's life and beauty on the outside, whitewashed tombs, and inside decay and death and chaos. And some of our lives, you would never say it this way, so let me say it for you. Some of our lives reflect this. I am willing to paint over the very thing that is killing me in order to keep up appearances. I've never met an addict that that wasn't their creed. Whether it be alcohol or drugs or porn or religion, I'm willing to paint over, paint over what is killing me in order to keep up appearances. And again, you may think to yourself, well, that's religious people. It is true. Religion is the place where people run to be respected when they've lost the courage to be real. And if you're addicted to religion, that's exactly what your life looks like. You're running to a place to be respected because you can't be real. But listen, self-determination is its own religion. You bow down to the idol of your own desires. You worship at the altar of your own desires. You deny the consequences that come, and then you curse the fact that your life is in disorder and chaos as a result. That's what happens. And you, in your own right, in your own way, run to a place to keep up appearances, to, be, to, to let your actions kind of say, oh, this is my life. You run to that place to be respected simply because you cannot find it in you to be real. This is the final statement. I determine my goodness by keeping the rules 
whosoever they are and whatever they are. That is the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now back to chapter 5, verse 20. He says, unless your righteousness, or I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds or surpasses that. When, so the second question is, if the first question is, what is it? Second question is, when? When is the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, when is it surpassed? When do we get beyond it? When do we exceed it? When is this righteousness um, moved past that? When is it, when is it surpassed? When is it exceeded? Um, he, here's the answer to that. When God's genuine goodness wins our hearts. When his genuine goodness comes into our life and wins our hearts. That is when the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees is surpassed in us. And I'll give you uh, a couple of uh, statements that kind of parallel the ones before. Instead of actions being ultimate, what we have is transformation. Transformation is what is then ultimate. It is the end. It is the the end game for us. It is the the thing that we're kind of shooting for here. Transformation, it is what is ultimate. And when you describe this transformation, what are you talking about? You're talking about a a movement from wherever you are to God's kind of goodness. There is a a shift, if you will, um, in the the allegiance of your heart from from whatever it is um, to uh, the things that God says are right to be allied to. Instead of being uh, uh, my allegiance being over here um, towards my own desires or towards my own thing or towards appearances or towards any number of other things. Now my allegiances are God's. And this is great. This is good news. It, it's not only a shift of allegiance and sometimes dependent upon kind of your background and how much baggage you're toting around. There's also a shift in your affections. So your affections for the things that were here now are transformed and are set on God. It is a transformation in us. And that is what, that is what is ultimate. It is, it it deals with real problems at the level in which they need to be dealt with. And Jesus, listen, he's going to be in the business of dealing with real problems. We're going to take this up in a few weeks. It's going to take us a little bit to get here, but uh, Jesus is going to talk about anger. Jesus is going to talk about your desires and how they can get out of whack and the chaos that can come as a result. He's going to talk about things that happen in marriage. Now, you married people, have anything happened this week? Just anything at all? Real problems. He's going to talk about using your words to uh, manage situations or people around you, verbal manipulation. He's going to talk about when people try to do those kinds of things to you and do ill to you, how then do you respond in those kind of settings? He's going to talk about those kind of things. These are very real problems, but listen, this is the incredible mercy of God for you and for me. He is not going to talk about them and he is not going to deal with them on a level that keeps those problems in play and keeps those problems uh, uh, where they are. He refuses to be superficial in his approach to this. He is going right into the very heart of this. He is going to deep dive into the very heart of this. He refuses to take a band-aid and stick it on a broken arm and say, this is going to be just fine. When Jenny and I bought our first house, we knew a couple things. Number one, we knew absolutely nothing about owning a house. And secondly, we had just spent more money than we had ever spent in our entire lives. And our eyes were like this. Uh, it was a house built in 1948. It was a cute little old house. And, um, 
It was a Peer and Beam Foundation. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Peer and Beam Foundations, it's not a foundation of concrete. It's a, it's a kind of a lattice work, if you will, of, of wood structure underneath. That's just generally speaking in, in a sentence how it works. And so we'd, we'd walk through our dining room, uh, and there'd be a spot where whoop, you'd, you'd, it, you'd stand on a trampoline in this one particular spot. You'd be walking through, whoop, and there it would be. And so, again, we didn't know anything. We didn't know what was going on. Um, get a contractor out and said, yeah, there's a beam that's broken uh, underneath there. Well, how do we go about fixing that? Can we just lay some extra hardy plywood on top and call it good? Well, in theory, you could. But the truth is, is that that doesn't fix the problem. Up comes the carpet. Up comes the subfloor. Up co- in comes this big old honking beam where they have to put things together and cut it right and move this and take that, pull this part out, get this in place first. Then everything else can be built down. Listen, this is the kind of work that we're talking about here. When we talk about transformation, we're talking about a heart kind of renovation at the deepest part, at the deepest part of who you are. There's stuff that has to come up and get ripped out and pulled out of the way before it can be built back in. This is what Jesus, this is what Jesus is after, a transformation. And secondly, that that there is substance. Instead of um, appearances or everything, we talk about it in terms of substance. Substance is everything. If transformation is ultimate, that's related to the goodness that we're talking about. But if substance is everything that we're talking about, this is the genuine part. It is a genuine goodness. So instead of uh, it just appearing to be a certain way, like it's actually that way. Probably the easiest way I know to describe this looks like this picture right here. Anybody remember uh, paper mache? So if you are not familiar or don't remember, uh, the art teacher would blow up a balloon, for instance, and then out would come the strips of newspaper, uh, and then the sticky gooey stuff that how in the world they let us play with that? I don't know. I'm pretty sure NASA invented it. It's probably patented somewhere. But nonetheless, strips go into the gooey stuff that NASA invented onto the balloon, strip into the stuff onto the balloon and, until you got it all kind of uh, fixed up. And then it dried and you could pop the balloon and then you could paint and do all the things and it would come out paper mache. Here you've got a picture of the globe. Uh, you could paint the little continents on there, all that kind of stuff. Um, and you could hang it up in your room. You could put it somewhere, uh, you know, like on a desk in, in, a, in your house or something like that. And inevitably, some punky little sibling of yours would come along and they'd start doing this to it. And what happens eventually? There is a hole that gets poked into it. And if they are serious enough about poking it, like an entire continent could collapse. And if our lives are based on our appearance... It doesn't take very long for life to poke us a little bit and an entire section of our life collapses. An entire section of our life collapses. And this is where um, I I get this question. Yeah, but isn't, isn't sincerity enough? I mean, yeah, I'm out here and I'm trying, and uh, I know there's some younger uh, folks in the room, particularly uh, for that kind of 30 age range. Man, that's an important question for many of you. Isn't sincerity enough? I'm out here doing my 
best. And here, here's what I would say. Sincerity is only half of virtue. You don't believe me? Go take a math test. Two plus two. I sincerely believe it's five. And you would be sincerely what? You would be sincerely wrong. Sincerity is only half of virtue. And so, some of you are like, eh, that's not really my problem. Sincerity is not really my problem. Sincerity. Uh, uh, Transformation is ultimate. Substance is everything. I don't know that I have the stuff that it takes. In fact, when you pull open my junk drawer, so to speak, uh, no, nobody needs access to my junk drawer. The, the genuine goodness of Jesus. He is going to be about the business of transforming the very real life that you live junk drawer and all. I don't know about your junk drawer, the one in my house. We don't let the kids in it for two reasons. Number one, it's embarrassing. Number two, there's dangerous stuff in there. That's how some of you approach. I don't want to get into that segment of my life because it's embarrassing and there's stuff in there. And Jesus is in the business of transforming that. The genuine goodness of God renovating that, winning that. And there will be a genuine and real substance. Here's the third question. Why is it important? Why is it important? <clears throat> this is in that very last phrase. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, here's the last phrase. You will never enter the kingdom of the heavens. Why is this important? Because without it, we miss the kingdom. That's, that's why it's important that you and I grasp that Jesus, uh, and, and let him go about the business of winning our hearts with his genuine goodness because the kingdom is at stake here. Now, you say to yourself, well, uh, you know, I can live in, a, in my own kingdom. That's true. You can live in your own kingdom. Or I can live in a different kingdom, uh, a political kingdom, an economic kingdom, a health uh, kingdom, a, a, a relational kingdom. But here's the truth about our own kingdom or any of those other kingdoms. Those kingdoms don't last. I promise you they don't last. If 2020 has taught us anything, it's that those kingdoms don't last. And secondly, those kingdoms take more from us than they ever give to us. And honestly, if you're in the room right now watching at home, and you think, no, 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 my, my little kingdom, it's, it's doing just fine right this second. I promise you this. There will come a point where it tips over. It goes over the edge. And it will start consuming more from you than it ever offered to you. And when it does, please turn to Jesus. Please. There is no, it is so important that you hear this today because there is no kingdom without it. Uh, what, what does that kingdom look like when it comes to us, when the genuine goodness of Jesus takes over in our lives? What does it look like? First of all, it looks like wholeness. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, the very last verse of the, of the chapter, here's what he says. Be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. So the goal is for you and I to be transformed to a place where there are no holes in us. You and I, we get to experience wholeness without holes. We, we get to be uh, complete. We get to be a people who are uh, living with a, a completeness to our lives. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be whole is what he's saying. 
And you just think about his audience in that moment. Again, just a few minutes ago, they, they were the people who were demon-possessed and, and epileptics and paralyzed and sick. And, and the kingdom came in their lives and it sat down right in their lives. And he said, you have access to the kingdom. You are salt and light. And you're, you have a, a righteousness that can exceed this of the scribes and Pharisees. It, it can lead you to wholeness. Just five minutes ago, man, my life was a wreck. Some of you, listen, some of you, your life is a wreck. And Jesus is saying, there's a different way to do this. And you can experience wholeness, but you, you don't get it on your own terms. You get it on his. Secondly, and, and this is how that wholeness works, when the genuine goodness of God comes into our lives. The outgrowth of that is love. We talked about this for This is the third week now where we've talked about how Jesus fulfilled the law for us, but also in us. And when he comes to live in us, the outworking of that is our obedience. Well, here's the thing. That obedience is love. That's what it looks like in Matthew chapter 22, um, verses 37 to 40. A guy rolls up on Jesus and he goes, hey, what's the most important stuff that we need to know? Jesus said, oh, that's, that's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments, everything else hang. Everything else. So you and I, then, if, if we miss the kingdom, because we're depending on ourselves and on our actions, and we're keeping up appearances, if, if, if that is the case, then here's what's going to happen to you and to me. We will not be permeated with this kind of love, and this is what God wants for us. This is how you and I experience wholeness, is that we are permeated with his kind of love. This is, this is why we, we can live in the lie that the kingdom is ours, apart from the genuine goodness of God and the permeating love but we, we can't live the life that he wants us to live apart from this. And some of you, again, these are just conversations that I had, but these are quotes from those conversations. It may sound like this. Ah, uh, you know, me and God, we're doing just fine. I, I'm glad that you think you're doing just fine. What do you think God thinks? Because... If I'm in a relationship with somebody who's my superior, it matters not what I think. It matters what the superior thinks. So what do you think God thinks? What do you think he would say? Here's another one. Oh, well, I'll just hold on to the end. I'm going to live the life that I want to live in this moment. And then I'll just hold on to the end and then I'll square up with God at that point. When's the end coming? That's a question. And secondly, what gives you the confidence that you can square things up with God in the last moment? And if you grew up around a religious household like I did, may, maybe this is the statement. Um, I, well, I, I walked the aisle. I said a prayer. I got baptized. Here's my get out of hell free card, all that kind of stuff. And listen, I'm all for people in, in at Vacation Bible School and other places experiencing the powerful um, transformational work of Jesus in their life. I'm all for that. But listen, my life has to align with that. My allegiance has to shift. My affections have to shift. If I'm going to experience the kingdom as he's talking about here, if I'm going to uh, live in the wholeness that he has and be permeated with his love, this is, this, is what, this is what he wants. Okay, so last question. How, why is this important? That's a great question. How does this happen? Though? How do we do this? And again, we could have turned to any place. Um, all right, just... Pick this up, Matthew, excuse me, Philippians chapter 3, 
7 to 11. Listen to these words from Paul. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. The gain he's talking about is his pedigree, his resume. Hey, I was a Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin and on and on and on and on. He said, I counted all that stuff. That's all lost to me. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything, everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now, if you're British, rubbish is a good word. Trash, that's how we'd say it. Count it as trash in order that I may gain Christ in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Not a righteousness, not a goodness that's based on the things that I can accomplish. The righteousness that comes from God through faith. That depends on faith, excuse me. That I may, faith in what? That I may know him, verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. How does this happen? You put your trust in Jesus. What does that look like? You trust, you put your faith in Jesus' death, that he purchased forgiveness for you. I'm trusting that I'm purchasing. I'm not relying on any scale here. I think my good outweighs my bad. Listen, your good can never outweigh your bad. You just don't know how bad it actually is. I'm trusting that Jesus purchased my forgiveness by his death. He took the sin that was mine and he bore it by himself. Secondly, but not just trusting in his death, but also in his life. He was raised from the dead and that life has purchased my freedom. I'm no longer slave to the things that I once was. I'm no longer um, have to live uh, in relationship the same way that I did to these other things. I can look behind me and say, that's who I was, but I am now stepping out and living differently to say, this is who I am. Because this is who God has made me to be. I trust his death, that he purchased my forgiveness, and I trust his life, that he purchased my freedom. And some people say, ah, well, you know, I mean, my life's pretty good right now. Here's what I want to tell you. T- Tuesday and Friday at my house is trash day. My kids gather up their assigned trashes. They get dumped into the white bag at the bottom there. White bag gets cinched up, folded up, tied up. Sent out to the big black trash can. Big black trash can goes to the curb. Trash man comes by, dumps it in the big trash truck. It goes to the landfill. We take the big black trash, stick it back just behind the gate, and off we go. You know, at no point, at no point in that process do any of my kids say, Oh, no, there goes my used Kleenex. Nobody cries over trash. Nobody cries over trash. Paul comes along and he challenges us and he says, I count all this stuff like trash in order that I may gain Christ. And so if you're here in the room today, you're watching at home and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to put your faith in Jesus today and let his death count for your death and his life for your life. You simply surrender to him and say, Jesus, please come in and forgive me and take over. If you're in the room today and you already are a Christian, I just want to say to you, there may be a segment of your life 
where you're like, hey, God, thanks so much for all the help and all these other areas, but I've got this segment. I've got my hands on the reins here. It seems like I'm doing pretty well. Thanks. I just want to say to you, man, no, nobody cries over the trash going out. Surrender that to him. Let his genuine goodness conquer that area. Let him win that area of your life. Let him win that area of your life. Trust him. Trust him and you will experience a kind of freedom that you've never had before. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll have a moment just to respond. As you bow your head and before I actually voice anything, why don't you just take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to put his finger on if some segment of your life or maybe your entire life, maybe you need to receive Jesus today. Maybe your prayer goes, Jesus, I just need you to take over. Please let your genuine goodness come into my life. If you're a Christian in here, you just, Holy Spirit, where do you need to be at work today? What do I need to surrender to you today? Take a moment to pray that prayer. Now, Father, for the sake of everyone gathered here, for the sake of those watching at home, please be at work. Continue to speak and lead us into life. Not some fake version of existence, but lead us into life. That's what I'm asking now for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to sing this incredible old hymn about God's faithfulness to us. I just want to encourage you uh, to receive this. Sing along if you want to, by all means. Uh, but I want to encourage you uh, to, to receive this, that God is faithful. And then I'll be back to dismiss this in just a moment.
Super smooth transition when your mask jerks your microphone off, isn't it? <laughs> Whatever. Uh, listen, God is incredibly faithful. There's nothing that's in your junk drawer, nothing in, the, in that closet. He's nothing he's scared of. Every bit of him wants to see you transformed. So surrender to him. Give your life to him. Let his goodness win your heart. That's what I would say. And go from here, from this place, like what we've said and what we've said is true. Live this week like Jesus reigns over everything because he does. God bless you. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Thanks for joining us. You are dismissed. Thanks for being here. I'll be right outside those doors. If you have any questions or prayer requests, I'd love to meet you.